A reading from the book of Proverbs. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is deceitful. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fools pours out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading this morning is taken from the letter of James, beginning at the 16th verse. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word of the Lord. Please stand.
This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning, everybody. So today we're going to talk about the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was running a cash register during my weekly shift at Trader Joe's, and uh, one culturally unique thing about the store where I work is what happens every Friday. Since St. Louis Park is a town with a large Jewish community, there's a lot of shopping for the approaching Sabbath on Fridays. And this has at times lent itself to some good conversation for me as a lover of the Hebrew Bible. I'm sure none of you can imagine that. While I was running a register, a rabbi came through my line, and we talked a little bit about how he and I saw the Ninth Commandment. He remarked that he saw it as mainly pertaining to court. I asked him, what does neighbor mean to you, and all these things. And we had a really, really delightful conversation for a few minutes. Couldn't be too long because he was buying groceries and he had to get home. It got me to thinking what an amazing heritage we have in the Ten Commandments. What What a wealth God has given to us, all the facets to all these commandments. So let's pray and we'll start contemplating this wonderful Ninth Commandment. Oh God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to start with a question. How jealous are we for our neighbor's good name and welfare? As a Southern California native, one thing I've learned to be kind of low-key about is 
how much I loved the Los Angeles Lakers growing up. When you go to other parts of the country, you start to see that a lot of people aren't so fond of the Los Angeles Lakers. But for many years growing up during the Showtime era of the 1980s, I loved the Lakers. Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I have this wonderful memory of being in a pizza parlor in 1987 during the finals when they were playing the Boston Celtics, and there's this famous play where Magic Johnson made this sky hook, and everybody in the pizza parlor went nuts. It's a great memory. The Lakers hit a dry spell in the 90s, and despite adding Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant, they were not the perennial contenders they had been. And so the, the Lakers owner, Jerry Buss, was desperate, and he decided to hire the infamous rebounding machine, Dennis Rodman, to join the team. I was incensed. Dennis Rodman represented so many things I did not want associated with my favorite team. My anger grew to a boiling point. And this sounds silly, but it's true. It really happened. I began to share with anyone who would listen how upset I was with his presence on the team, and I would speak in cruel and demeaning language about this talented basketball player. And after way too many hours like this, God showed me something. He said, you know, and I, I came to this realization, Dennis Rodman is a person. Why am I speaking with such venom about another human being? What right did I have to harbor such sentiments about a fellow image bearer? What gave me the right to have that? And it's, it's a game, basketball. This man was a, a stranger. Why did I let this have such power over me? I had a really great conversation after the first service with Keith Gallion, and he was talking to me a little bit about Dennis Rodman's difficult background, and it gave me even more reason to feel sad about how I felt. But it was great, because it reminded me, people have a story. One of the great things about pondering these commandments is really thinking through the principles that underlies each of them. I could go through them all, of course, but here's what we've pondered just in the last three weeks. Pastor Andine talked a couple, a few weeks ago about the Sixth Commandment and how the command to not murder is really, in many ways, this bigger principle about how we honor life and protect it. Pastor Christian talked a couple weeks ago about the holiness of sexuality that supports the Seventh Commandment. And then last week, he pondered why stealing matters to God when he talked about stewardship and honoring what belongs to God. So as we come to the ninth commandment, you will not bear false witness against your neighbor, I'm going to ask again, how jealous are we for our neighbor's good name and welfare? Pretty much all of us know we're not supposed to lie. I mean, you can lie to anybody, and no matter who they are, they're going to be mad, right? It's in our bones, but I think sometimes we forget to include the last part of this commandment, against your neighbor. While we are right to see this as a command not to lie, it doesn't really, to me, get at the true heart of the instruction God is giving us. Traditionally, people speak of the two tablets of the law. Perhaps some of you or many of you have heard of that. Commands 1 through 4 deal with our relationship with God primarily. And the second tablet, commands 5 through 10, deal with our relationship with our neighbors. And then, if you look at each tablet, they each have one law that really sort of surrounds our speech. Law three asks us to honor God's name in our speech and our action. 
Law 9 asks us to guard our neighbor's name in our speech and our action. When my kids were little, my wife Stephanie would practice catechism questions with them. It's kind of funny to think about. My daughter turned 20 today. There would come a time when the question was asked, what is the Christ's second great commandment? When Corey, Jack, or Wes would answer, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Steph, my, my wife, would ask, ask the follow-up question, and who is your neighbor? To which they would respond, everyone is my neighbor. The ninth commandment teaches us what is important to God, and what we are saying about our neighbors is important to God. And if everyone is our neighbor, then God cares about what we say about any of his image bearers. In a world when speech is not only talking in court, but also hitting send or even tweeting or posting, the magnitude of this command is stunning. So I want to begin talking about the, the command itself, and then I want to think through the implications of these three readings and their applications. So as to the command itself, one of the great things about so many of these commands is how short they are. They're very brief. This command is only five words long in Hebrew, but it's still way, way longer than commands six through eight, which are only two words. And as important as each of these five words in this command are, I really, really want to focus most of this morning on the word neighbor, that one word, as I've already mentioned. It's a word that's used almost 200 times in the Hebrew Bible. And a few of them happen in the next commandment that Pastor Pete will be talking about next week. Spoiler, yeah. I did a cursory glance at the different uses of this word, and it's one of those words that's just used without definition. We all do that in our languages, right? We, just, we know what certain words mean without having to define them. This word is a per, it refers to a person alongside you, in your community. Here's some thoughts about this commandment from our Anglican Church of North America catechism, the book called To Be a Christian. This was published just a few years ago. It says, bearing false witness is to willfully communicate a falsehood about my neighbor, either in legal or in other matters, in order to misrepresent them. This is forbidden because it defames and wounds my neighbor, erodes my love of truth, disobeys my Lord Jesus, and aligns me with Satan, the father of lies. This commandment forbids all lying, slander, or gossip, all manipulative, deceitful, or insulting speech and testifying falsely about myself for personal gain. Instead, we should speak at all times with love, wisdom, and truth so that our words may honor God and comfort and encourage our neighbors. As I said earlier, the underlying principle of these commands is where we find the power and where we find the very character of God. And there are so many implications of this commandment. But I want to focus on one salient principle from each of our readings. Cruel speech, rash or speculative speech, and healing speech. So our Proverbs reading. For our Proverbs reading, I want to think about how cruel we can be in our speech and how this violates the ninth commandment. The collection of readings from the Proverbs that Matthew read this morning very well is, had a specific source. They are the readings that are the references that come directly from the question and answers that I just read to you from our catechism. 
And while each proverb is a treasure trove of exhortation for all manner of misuse and proper use of the tongue, I want to focus on how these verses call out cruel speech. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The reason cruel speech is called out in these Proverbs is that it does a kind of violence to our neighbor's spirit. While we should not confuse words that do violence to our soul with physical violence, to be sure, the word of God reflects how violent words can be. So often we, we jab at people as with a sword in a rash way, and often we end up saying things that might not even be true. And it's easier to do that now than ever. While people always write, could write or say poisonous words, we can hide behind a keyboard now, and we don't have to see the look in our victim's face as we jab with our swords quickly. And so often, we even lie to ourselves and to the victims of our cruel words. Almost 20 years ago, I was working the closing shift at Trader Joe's on a Christmas Eve. And in California, Christmas Eve is actually a very busy shopping day. It's not as much here in Minnesota. I remember being in the produce section, and I noticed that there were two shoppers who were shopping the produce section, and they were arguing. And I couldn't hear what they were saying, but one thing I could tell is that the volume was going up. The volume continued to go up until finally the argument ended with one of the ladies declaring to the other, Oh yeah? Well, I hope you have a miserable Christmas. Now, she may have meant it. But honestly, if they were arguing over lettuce or whatever, I mean, maybe it was worse, I don't know. Do you really think she really wanted to call down a cursed Christmas on her fellow shopper? Sometimes we say things to others, and we will even say right afterwards, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. But why do we say it? Proverbs 12, 18 says, We wield our words rashly like swords, and we want to hurt others, so we say things that aren't true. And we might even believe them in the moment, but on further reflection, we know we are saying it because we want to hurt people. And sometimes we'll even speak true words, cruelly or unnecessarily. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Don't speak with cruelty about your neighbor. The ninth commandment gives us a better way. Our reading from the book of James shows another way in which we are to reflect the beautiful truth of the ninth commandment. We are to refrain from rash or speculative speech, which emphasizes anger and half-truth. James 1.17 is one of the most popular verses in the whole Bible, and it's easy to see why. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Praise God, the gifts of God are so rich. The words of James are as sweet as honey. And then right after that truth, James goes right into a reflective admonition about how we are to speak. Verse 19, we are to be quick to hear. We are to be slow to speak. We are to be slow to anger. 
Are you like me? Does that sound just great? Look around us. Would we characterize our cultural moment as showing slowness of speech? We're in a world where people in the public square can say whatever they want about others if they have it coming. But James in verse 20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How are we as people of God taking this truth of the ninth commandment to heart? How are we reflecting this to our world? Are we being careful with how we speak of our neighbors in public? How jealous are we for our neighbor's good name and welfare? Are we willing to cut corners, tell half-truths, or speculate because we think it will help us get our point across or gain points? James, by the Holy Spirit, will have none of it. God, in the ninth commandment, will not abide us speaking falsely or carelessly about our neighbor. But if we think that only applies under oath or direct questioning, we are missing the beauty. James reminds us that our speech speaks about our hearts. Verse 26 says that if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religious is, religion is, is worthless. Last year, I read the classic novel, Pride and Prejudice, by Jane Austen again. It's been a couple times I've read it. For those of you who know the story, you know that the main character, wonderful character, Elizabeth Bennet, is quick to make judgments about Darcy. And she ends up defaming him, and even with her rashness and quickness to judgment, brings difficulty. And this is in an era of pen and ink. How much more do we face a temptation to hide behind a keyboard and hit send, post, or like without considering the depth of what we are doing? Friends, I would argue that the capability we have as humans to spew so much venom and falsehood so quickly make this command so, so timely. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Are we allowing the spirit of our age to dictate our own rash and speculative speech? The ninth commandment gives us a better way. And now to our gospel reading. Jesus, as always, brings it home for us because we need clarification, right? He gives us a picture that I think can include what I said, the healing power of words. Even though the word neighbor is used so much in the Hebrew scriptures, as I mentioned earlier, it's never really defined. Well, a young lawyer picked up on that fact in Luke chapter 10, and the important fact that St. Luke includes is this, he, desiring to justify himself, asked, who is my neighbor? How much like this are all of us? I'll speak for myself. We want to know, okay, what do I have to do to get this right? Who are the exact people I'm supposed to love? And we all know Jesus' reply, it's maybe his, the most famous story he's ever told. Hospitals are named after it. The kind of speech that is tolerated towards others in our world is the rhetorical equivalent of the mugging suffered by the man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
How are we to be neighborly in our speech? If Jesus counters the question, who is my neighbor, with the answer, be be a good neighbor like the hated Samaritan, surely we can see that part of how we don't bear false witness against our neighbor is to speak and act in the neighborly way. And what could it mean for our speech that Jesus shows the Samaritan, a hated enemy, as his hero? The ninth commandment shows us a godly way. Do not speak rashly about others. Don't make things up. Don't be slanderous or speculative. Use your words to be as the wine and oil of the Samaritan. Bind people's wounds. Don't inflict more. Speak charitably and truthfully about your neighbor. And remember, everyone is your neighbor. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, how jealous are we for our neighbor's good name and welfare? Jesus revolutionizes our understanding of the word neighbor in the, in the Good Samaritan parable. And in so doing, he demands we take a look at this ninth commandment in that light. Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became false witness, slander, half-truths, and all the sins of the tongue for us. Let's follow his example one who spoke truth firmly, lovingly, patiently, and went to the cross. Let's put away the swords of our tongues and make them instruments of peace and healing. Let's pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon where there is discord, union, where there is error, truth, where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not seek so much as to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.